It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Noise in Brief, PR Week's brand new fortnightly podcast series. I'm John Harrington, the editor of PR Week UK. Noise in Brief is an offshoot of our well-established podcast, Beyond the Noise. For this podcast, we'll be analysing the biggest news stories in the industry from the past week or so in a more bite-sized format. Joining me today is PR Week UK news editor Siobhan Holt and reporters Eliza Radu and Evie Barrett. Now we're recording this on the day that the PR Week UK Power Book, one of our biggest projects of the year, is released. For the uninitiated, this is our annual listing of the most influential people in UK comms. They're asked to complete a Q&A on themselves and on industry issues, which makes for a great read. Over the coming days, we'll be publishing lists of who we consider to be the most influential in different sectors. By the way, the Power Book and all of the articles are exclusive to subscribers, so if you're not a PR Week subscriber, you're missing out. Now, I thought we could start this episode by looking at some of the biggest themes identified in the Power Book. So one question we asked the Power Book members is whether the Great Resignation is over in PR, given the cost of living crisis and other factors affecting recruitment. Siobhan, you've been looking at this. What are, uh, what are peer leaders saying? The majority seem to be saying that they did believe that the Great Resignation has ended in PR. Nevertheless, a large majority of the participants were still really cautious in their wording and their responses. So terms like slowed, stabilised, settled, degree of fluidity were used to describe the current recruitment market. Respondents believe that the economic challenges like the cost of living crisis has caused a drop in the number of employees resigning. And some PR pros warned that there may even be more talent than vacancies in the sector. And then you had people like Joe Carr, the co-founder at Hope and Glory PR. She said that the sector will see quiet quitting replaced by quiet committing maybe in 2023 as staff try to ride out the economic difficulties in the current roles. And we've seen economic difficulties already in sectors like technology. They've already started seeing the impact of redundancies. But the overall consensus was that 
COVID-19 has really transformed recruitment in the sector and it's changed what employees expect from their employers. And Charlotte Brooks, the managing director of Mischief, said it the best. She said that agencies shouldn't become complacent and that for her, flexible working, employee wellness and learning and development still need to be top of the agenda to attract and retain top talent. Interesting. Thank you for that. I mean, yeah, it really seems to get to the heart of so many things related to this industry, really, when it comes to sort of talent recruitment and, and retention. And obviously, during the cost of living crisis, there's the issue of staff pay and whether staff pay is keeping up or almost keeping up with inflation. There is issues, as you say, around flexible working and sort of office attendance requirements and all of that stuff. And generally, there's probably a sense of staff needing to feel motivated and promoted and all of those things that, that have existed for a long time. But I, I expect COVID-19 has probably accelerated that. I also I remember last year on, on a podcast that we had, Alex Myers at Manifest was talking about how the great resignation could become the great redundancy if we're not careful. Um, and from some of these comments, it sounds as though there are concerns about whether that might end up being the case. I mean, it sounds like we're not there yet if that's going to be there at all, but it's certainly a kind of more mixed picture, I think, than from, say, a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's all sort of like a big package, isn't it? As you say, it's not just employers looking at just the money and what they pay their staff. COVID has obviously changed it and now it's taken that next step. And with the challenges that are in the sector regarding the cost of living crisis, that's just going to heighten things even more. One of the other questions we asked is which personal organisation has handled their PR most adeptly in the past year? Spoiler alert, I tossed up the answers. Far and away, the leader is President Zelensky. To the surprise of nobody, I'm sure. Also high up are the Lionesses, following England's win at the Euros last year. We had Mick Lynch, the union boss, Patagonia, and its founder, who famously gave the company away to help fight climate change. We also had the royal family up there. So I'll throw this out to the rest of you. Is anyone surprised at any of the entries near the top? Evie, is there anyone who you think deserve to be there, who perhaps didn't get the recognition? I think that they all deserve to be there in their own right. But I was a little bit disappointed Joe Lysett didn't rank higher. I thought his David Beckham stunt was a really good one, and I think he got a lot of attention. So, yeah, I think if it was up to me, that would have ranked a little bit higher. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed that stunt as well, and obviously the publicity that came with it was I think even Joe himself probably would say he was surprised by it, according to the documentary. But yeah, I agree. I think Joe Lysett become a real kind of PR stunt star, actually. And it was the amount of publicity from an earned media perspective, I guess, was just absolutely huge. And he made the point so well. I do think he, he did incredibly well. And he was quite high up on our list of top communicators of the year last year. So... Yeah, I agree. I, I think he probably did deserve more more of a shout out. I'm personally surprised a bit that Labour wasn't further up there or, or Keir Starmer. I appreciate they aren't necessarily the most exciting political party or prospect at the moment, but they're so far ahead in the polls and they have been consistently for at least a year that it strikes me that regardless of what you might think about their politics, from a PR perspective, they're probably doing quite a lot of things right. So yeah, that was something that, that surprised me slightly. Anyone else have any thoughts on, on who else deserve recognition or other institutions? I was quite surprised the royal family were as high up as they were, just because they'd had quite a mixed 
bag of mm-hmm. communications <laughs> over the year. It, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was quite surprised. And also, I, I think it is. There was a question on, I think it was University Challenge or something. I was watching last night, and it was which union boss replaced, and I knew it was Mick Lynch. And I think that was only because of his communication skills <laughs> last year. That I don't think if you'd asked me a year earlier, he was leading that union that I would actually know so I suppose that just shows how great a communicator he's been really that he's in the public domain and even being asked on tv shows yeah absolutely well he was our communicator of the year last year Mm. uh Mick Lynch so regardless of what you think about his policies and obviously when you listen to this you may well be in the midst of a train strike or a tube strike or a tube and train strike so your personal feelings may be may be different but as a communicator I think he's he's been top notch yeah well thank you for that so Taking the opposite view, Eliza, who or what was the real comms flop? So this may not come as a surprise to anyone, but the Conservative Party were the most dishonourable performers of last year, closely followed by Liz Truss. But on the tech front, Elon Musk was third on the list. And Jim Donaldson from Fleischmann Hellard said Elon Musk seems to be on the path of self-destruction, and I completely agree, especially with his Twitter takeover. A few ranked under eight, such as Kanye West, Matt Hancock, and Donald Trump, and I feel like they could have gone a lot higher, but in my opinion, Balenciaga and P.O. Ferries should have been a lot higher on the list as well. Yeah, I think part of this might be a timings thing. I think because people would have filled this out, most people in December maybe some in November. P&O Ferries was a real massive mm. crisis at the start of last year. So I wonder if they were saved by the timings in a way, because that was a real shocker, wasn't it? You know, when um, uh, the way they let those people go and created a huge corporate crisis and Balenciaga, some of their campaigns have been just shocking, really, haven't they? I also think in terms of timings, you mentioned that you're surprised that Kanye West, Donald Trump aren't ranked higher. I think because they've been such big characters over the past few years that people maybe don't think of them first anymore because they've had so much controversy that it's kind of just expected from them now. That's true. But there are what I thought was quite interesting. So I looked at the um, best campaigns of the past 12 months and a few people actually said that Elon Musk's Twitter takeover was their favourite campaign of the year. So yeah, I think people were impressed with the way that he defied all the rules and just came in and did his own thing, which... Whether you agree with how we went about it or not, I suppose it is a different approach, the kind that we haven't seen before and probably won't see again. I think it's a bit bizarre that people chose Musk, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess he's... I he's, wouldn't choose it, but... No, I suppose he's had he's had a lot of publicity off the back of it. What are the other trends that you saw in terms of popular campaigns? So there was a real mix of purpose-led campaigns and more light-hearted campaigns. So the one that ranked in first place was Airbnb's work to house Ukrainian refugees. And that got 40 votes, which I think is understandable because no one can really argue with it. It was They were so quick off the mark and they did some really great work to help where they could. So, um, yeah, I think that's an obvious first choice. Then in second place, we had Bounty leaving the celebrations tub, which obviously caused a lot of discussion. That's more of a fun one. But at the same time, if it got everyone talking, then it did its job. Two of my favourite campaigns of the year actually made it into the list. Like I was saying, with purpose and fun, I think they demonstrate that quite nicely. We had Daily Stars, Liz Truss Lettuce and Penguin Random House's Unburnable Book. I thought those were both 
pretty good ones. What were your guys' favourite campaigns of the past 12 months? I would have to agree with you on the Liz Truss Letters campaign. (laughs) I thought it was very funny and I thought it was very different to what we normally see around politics. I think she's the first and only Prime Minister. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. That will be associated with a vegetable. Yeah, it's a really different approach. And I like that it got people involved who aren't necessarily maybe that big into politics. Yeah, it was just a bit of fun, really. And I think it captured the the public mood at the time. Yeah, it's a good campaign. Possibly my favourite from 2022, which was start of that year, actually, was this tie-in between Netflix and Calm for Ricky Gervais' series um, Afterlife. Basically, it saw a load of benches being placed in parks across the UK just with a simple line, hope is everything, which is a, a line from the show. And it's quite a sort of simple campaign, really, but encouraging people to talk and to discuss their mental health and really to just reflect. And actually, I just think it was just a really, as I say, it was a simple campaign, but it was one where I think the results of the stunt, if you like, actually benefited the local area. And I heard that there were calls from other local areas to have these benches fitted in their parks as well. It was quite good at sort of getting media coverage in sort of local media as well, where all those benches ended up. There's one near my house, actually. I haven't seen it yet. I hope it's still there. So it was a really sort of nice, warm, effective campaign, I think, that sort of had got a lot of people talking, but also had quite a good broad sort of national appeal and didn't feel cheap, felt like something that was quite fitting for the, for the, uh, for the TV show itself. Yeah, I agree. That was a good one. And it did get a few votes, but like a lot of other great campaigns, just didn't make it into the top 10, unfortunately. Moving on to our regular top and flop column, which we're going to be discussing, namely who or what has handled comms particularly well or particularly badly in the past seven days or so. So I'm going to start with flop and you probably won't be surprised to hear that we're going for the BBC and the row over Gary Lineker, which dominated the news over the weekend. To recap, last Friday, the Match of the Day presenter was suspended after publishing a tweet comparing the language used by the government to that used in 1930s Germany. There were claims that the tweet breached impartiality. The BBC said he would step back from presenting Match of the Day until they had agreed a position on his use of social media. However, other sports presenters such as Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, Alex Scott refused to appear and the football coverage was disrupted last weekend. 
To be fair, the BBC and Lineker did come to an agreement on Monday. Um, the corporation said it would review the guidance on social media and the presenter would be returning to our screens this weekend. The comms here were okay at that point, I think, and the story has died down a bit for now. But for three days, the BBC, in my mind, really struggled to get ahead of the story here, despite Tim Davey, the Director General, giving a heartfelt apology in a BBC interview on Saturday. The problem was there are accusations of double standards here, and I appreciate a lot of people would have heard a lot about this, but I'm going to be, be brief. People were pointing out that other BBC stars had made political statements in the past without censure. There were also allegations of conservative bias, given the BBC chairman, Richard Sharp is a former Tory donor and even facilitated an £800,000 loan guarantee for Boris Johnson. So this crisis was about many things. It was about BBC impartiality. It was about political interference. It was about government policy towards migrants and refugees. It was about free expression and the use of social media. It was also all bound up, unfortunately, in culture war, which just seems to start dominating a lot of our discourse these days. But from PR Week's perspective, this was an internal communications failure. We've seen this many times before in different contexts. Employers fail to deal with an internal issue, fail to keep their workforce on side, and it just explodes into an external crisis. And the result is reputation damage. Three of you, what, what was your take on the Lineker Twitter crisis? Should the BBC have, have acted differently? I think you're completely right. That it's, uh, it's a reputational damage. And now there seems to be raising the argument over the idea behind the BBC and the pay and the involvement of the government. So it's definitely rumbled on and picked up pace. I think the BBC need to ask themselves the question that if Gary Lineker had been agreeing with the government on the policy, would it have sparked the same debate? Because I think that's part of the issue. That that was raised by former Matcher of the Day presenter Dan Walker asked that question well, you know if he'd been agreeing would it have erupted but I think from a comms perspective it's not been good for the BBC at all um, it's been a real crisis and a real issue I think that I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon either I think they've got some questions to ask on and some policies to put in place I think for all staff yes I think that's right and quite a lot of people saying but actually Lineker has come out on top here. So although they did have an agreement and there were some nice words at the start of the week, as you say, it's not over and people are going to be very attuned to what the BBC and what presenters say in the future. So they really highlighted the issue. And I do think there's a longer term reputational issue to be dealt with here. Mm. I mean, there was some dispute, wasn't there, over whether he classes as a freelance member of staff or not. Yes. And I think that needs completely looking at from their policy point of view on who at the BBC and what can they say and what can they say on their personal social media accounts and what they should be saying when they're broadcasting. Okay, so let's move on to Top, Siobhan. Okay, so Top this week may surprise people actually. It's the banking giant HSBC and it's buyout of the Silicon Valley Bank's operations. So for those that may not know, so the background, at the weekend... The Silicon Valley Bank is a commercial bank headquartered in California in America, and it was at the time close to collapse at the weekend. The UK-based side of the business has actually been bought by HSBC. They stepped in um, as the white knight to save it. The deal was done in partnership with the British government. Um, and according to reports in The Guardian, the acquisition will mean that the UK side will no longer go into insolvency. So the acquisition by HSBC has cost one pound. 
and will help as a result to save thousands of British tech startup and investors from big losses. Noel Quinn, who is the group CEO, said that the acquisition uh, is an excellent strategic sense for the for the business in the UK, and it'll strengthen its commercial banking franchise, and it'll enhance um, the HSBC's ability to serve innovative and fast-growing firms like the technology and life science sectors in the UK and internationally. So it's been a great story for HSBC's reputation because obviously, you know, a lot of banking businesses are not seen as the white knight. They're obviously normally strongly criticised and can seem as a bit of a scrooge (laughs) as a sector. So, and also it's going to help protect the finances of the Silicon Valley Bank's UK customers, which there are around 3,500. So it's been quite a good story for them. Yes, I agree. Obviously, it's a difficult time for a lot of people in that sector and they went through a very difficult few days from what I can ascertain. So they will be glad as well. So there's probably quite a lot of good, if you like, B2B comms to HSBC as well. You know, the business community generally is going to, we hope, sort of see them in a in a more positive light too. So yes, good good work by them. Okay, now... We are coming towards the end of the show, but before we do that, we wanted to talk about one more story. This week, there was an interesting report release into freelance salaries. And obviously, we all know that freelancers play a very important role in the PR industry, in agencies, and and, and also in-house. Perhaps there's less written about them, less said about them, less information into things like their salaries and what they like and what they don't like. So Evie has been looking at a report into that. So Evie, what did the, uh, what did the report say? Yeah, so the PR Cavalry surveyed just over 200 PR freelancers and the overall results were quite positive really. So half of those surveyed expect their income to rise within the next year and only 18% think it will fall, which I found quite interesting given the cost of living crisis. You might think that things will get tougher for everyone, but no, it seems that freelancers are still quite optimistic. This optimism is in line with the salaries that the freelancers also reported last year. So 46% said that they'd earned over £60,000 and 11% even said that they'd earned over £100,000 in a year. So yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. I think it might surprise people because you associate freelancing with certain issues that you don't have to worry about when you're in a permanent position, such as trying to find work But actually, that didn't seem to be too much of an issue because 44% of those surveyed said that they had less than 10 spare working hours per month. So it seems to be a lot of freelance opportunities out there. Although they did say that chasing late payments was still a downside of freelancing. Really interesting. Thank you. Yes, I think that's right. And in a way, it comes back to what we were talking about with the great resignation and with sort of recruitment issues generally, because goes without saying when there are problems to recruit people this is when you get more freelancers involved so I wonder how much the freelancers have have benefited from the period of the great resignation when there is this real need for staff for all hands on deck so I expect that may have had to some extent a, a beneficial impact on them okay that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the first episode of noise in brief the next episode will go live on Wednesday the 29th of March But before that, you can listen to our other show, Beyond the Noise, which goes out next Wednesday, the 22nd of March. Thank you to the team and thanks for listening.